Today I do something I, I, I rarely do, so I'm a little embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed because I am going to share a teaching of someone else because it moved me. I'm going to share the Devar Torah. Um, it's a mixture of my paraphrase and her words from Ilana Kirshen, who is the author of All the Seas Are Inc., and who writes the weekly Devar Torah for the conservative yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Part of the reason it moved me is that her Torah is very rabbinically based because she's very involved in Midrash and rabbinics, and it is often informed by her experience of being a mother, which is not an experience that I've had, but I have a mother, and uh, I know some mothers. I think a lot about that experience. So even though I'm a man, I'm using her experience, and I'll reflect a little bit at the end about where it leaves me. She writes, in this week's parasha, we bear witness to the pathos of Moshe's plea with God to allow him to enter the land of Israel. Moshe, in speaking to the people of Israel at the end of their wilderness journey, explains that it is on their account that he has been denied entry to the land. I'm really focusing on chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. And you'll remember that like Moshe is pleading, and it says in verse 26 of chapter 3, the Lord was enraged with me because of you. So Moshe turns to the people and says, yeah, I can't enter the land because God's angry with me because of you guys. Moshe thus blames the people. He has devoted his entire life to shepherding and sheltering. The Midrashim on the opening verses of our parasha attempt to come to terms with Moshe's relationship with the Israelites here at the end of his life. And it employs the surprising metaphor that lays bare the ambivalence of a leader who has given himself over entirely to his people. So in a moment, it's going to be a mother metaphor. I want to say that I feel like feminist Midrash, one of the ways it's led me and inspired me, is it's not just about something as concrete as taking, taking a woman character and talking more about her experience. That's incredibly valuable. But reminding ourselves that there are female um, women metaphors for God um, and for all kinds of characters. And there's no easy textbook where you can say, oh, these are the ways God is like a woman. These are the ways God is like a man. It is just absolutely interwoven throughout our entire tradition. And so it's kind of everywhere when you start to look for it. So let's look for it here, or at least see where uh, the rabbis see it in the Midrash. So the opening verses take place. Moshe tells the people that following the defeat of the enemy kings, Sihon and Og, he pleaded with God to let him enter the land along with the Israelites. Ebrana. Let me please, I pray, cross over and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan, that good hill country and the Lebanon, verse 25. So the term for crossover, Ebra, is echoed in God's response to Moshe. You may have noticed it in the next verse where it says God becomes enraged. Vayita ber Adonai be. So, Ebra, let me cross over, and Vayit Aber, Ayin Beit Resh, God becomes enraged. God becomes enraged with Moshe and tells him never to raise the subject again. Both terms are, also resonate with God's instructions to Moshe at the end of the book of Numbers of the Midbar to ascend and view the land from afar. So at the end of Bimibar, which is finishing the narrative, because now we're at the entrance and we have the repetition of Deuteronomy, it ended with him at the heights of 
Avarim, which biblical scholar Aviva Zornberg translates as the heights of transitions, the heights of crossing. So Moshe, who pleads with God to let him cross over, finds his desire frustrated by an angry God who insists that he will merely be allowed to view the land from a transition point, from the heights of crossing. And that will mark his own crossing from life to death. As per the next verse, when you have seen it, you will be gathered to your forebearers. So let me try to put this in English. I mean, it's not so good, but I, I think it's helpful. Moshe wants to cross over, but God is cross with Moshe, and he can only view from the hills of crossing. Okay, I thought that was pretty clever, but that's my, that's my paraphrase. The root avar, which lies at the root of all these terms in the original Hebrew, connotes not just crossing over and also getting angry, but it has a midrashic meaning as well. And that's detailed in, Sif- in Sifre Devarim, where the second century sage Rabbi Yehoshua reads Vayitaber as referring to, and re- I'll give you the hint ahead of time, the same root or the same letters of that root, Ayin, Beit, Resh, is Ibor, to be pregnant. Okay? And so it may be a different original root, but it's identical. And so Rabbi Yeshua says, it's not accidental. Fayetaber here is referring to a woman who is in no condition to converse, meaning cross. So what does it mean that God is cross? Fayetaber means that God is um, in no condition to converse because of the pangs of pregnancy. The term may refer to God, who is so angry with Moshe that he refuses to engage further, but it also is an, an apt term from Moshe himself, Ilana Kirshen says who has carried the people around for so long that is at the end of his tether. Rabbi Yehoshua is playing on the phonetic similarity of avar for crossover and ibor pregnancy, which share that same three-letter Hebrew um, root. And ibor is used in rabbinic sources to refer to anything that is enlarged or expanded by means of something that is added on, like a city that is, be, gets expanded, um, the leap month, when we, when we get or the, the extra days of the month of the year that get put in the calendar. And Rabbi Yeshua may be explaining Moshe's use of the term, as signifying that God impregnated Moshe with the people of Israel, pushing him to expand beyond his ordinary capacity to bear the Israelites through the wilderness until they reached full term. So this is not a new way of Moshe or God You're playing with the metaphor of a woman, pregnant woman, um, a woman who's already delivered and who is a mother. And the the 40-year period could be parallel to the 40 weeks of pregnancy. And it's like, I'm expanding. I'm like, Moshe is like pregnant with these people and having to bear them. Uh, Or it could be as, well, you'll see in Moshe, it, like, it could be earlier as in the book of Numbers. Remember when the people were complaining bitterly to Moshe about the manna, wishing instead that they had meat to eat. And Moshe cried out to God, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not enjoyed your favor that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Alana Kirshen writes, here's in our parasha, we encounter a distressed and frustrated Moshe who cannot enjoy God's favor on account of the burden of bearing the people of Israel. And Moshe says, did I conceive this people? And did I bear them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursemaid carries an infant to the land that you promised to their fathers? Are we in unwanted pregnancy for Moshe? 
Or is he the wet nurse that he has to carry us? And is the wet nurse not the mother? Is God the mother? And Moshe is the wet nurse. Or is it like when Moshe's own mother, who biological mother was his wet nurse? All of it is open for your way of putting it together. Moses' exasperation with bearing the people and laboring on their behalf finds its echo in Deuteronomy last week. Last week, there's that special verse because it starts with Echa, right? What is that verse? Echa, how can I bear alone the trouble of you and the burden and the bickering? Chapter one of Deuteronomy, verse 12. And he tells that the people that at the end of his life. But Moshe has always been an ambivalent mother, although initially very resistant to taking on his role as evident by his demurral at the burning bush, Moshe came to care deeply and devotedly for his charges. Kershon sees motherhood here um, by seeing motherhood in Moshe after the golden calf actually is selflessness. Because we also have Moshe when God's angry and wants to get rid of the, the Israelites, Moshe also plays the protective mother who says, no, you brought them this far and we have to see it through. Moshe basically threatens divorce at that point with God, if God cuts them off. And I want to ask, is that a construction of motherhood or not? Like an ambivalent mother, Moshe resents his children for the toll they have taken on him, but he also cannot imagine his life without them, writes Alana Kershen. He realizes that to become a mother is to give of yourself to your child. It's to bear that child within you, to carry it around and then to let that child loose into the world and watch it travel to places you will never be able to access. It involves forsaking your own hopes and ambitions while seeing them realized through your children. So one of the reasons this Tevar Torah touched me is it is not simple in terms of what it means that if Moses is the mother or sees himself as a mother, Where is he at at this point of finishing the process of mothering? In how he looks at not having a future in the promised land. And so how do we think of mothers? One of the things that has um, greatly agonized me is to see, and I've mentioned it before in sermons about my view of Sarah at menopause, is how our society discards women who are at the end of the mothering period of letting their children go. We talk a lot about exclusion as we should in employment, but I would imagine that women who are trying to return to the workforce in their 50s after having mothered their children through decades, I would bet that they have a very low rate of being hired. And I bet there is a great deal of tacit discrimination against them. And I've seen it in the experience of members of my congregations. I wonder whether what we think of someone who's done that mothering and is at the end of that period, like Moshe, how we see them. So I quote Sephorno. Sephorno is upset at the way the rabbis are talking about Moshe's anger. He points out that some of the rabbinic commentators say, Moses is not angry. Moses is not frustrated. He, he's not angry at the people, like a mother of being angry, like, look at everything I did for you, and this is all I get. You are great for you. But rather, he just wants to continue being a mother. He wants to enter the land. Um, well, he wants, it's Sephorno's position. 
He wants to enter the land so he can continue protecting the Jewish people by blessing the land to sustain them and thus prevent future exile. Some of the other rabbis say, no, it's Moses wants his time. He's been deprived of experiencing the pleasures of life. He wants to go into the land because he wants to eat of that wonderful fruit, right? He's, he's done parenting and it's his time to actually enjoy life without a burden you know, placed upon him. The parsha offers up an opportunity to reflect on our constructions of gender, particularly for mothers, and particularly of the experience of women who have mothered in their lives, and whether they're allowed the ambivalence that Alana Kershon herself so much inspired in her Divrei Torah by being a mother acknowledges. The ambivalence of motherhood being a sacrifice and wanting their turn in the land, the ambivalence of perhaps feeling that others get to experience that which they did not, and that they're not truly acknowledged for what they have contributed. And they are, in a sense, left behind by a society that does not see them in their fullness. They're left on the hills of crossing with those who are cross with them in their own period of transition. Shabbat Shalom.